And just like that, we're back. Another episode of Late Kick Extra Thursday morning here, January 7th. It is now 2021. Been a long year so far, if I have to be honest with you. It has been. But uh, this is not the platform nor the place where we try and say profound things that will be remembered 100 years from now. No, we just keep it college football here. Imagine the nerve. So we've got a lot of good questions this morning, actually. We've got a national championship game less than a week from now. We've got a Bama and Ohio State. Plenty of that talk coming tonight on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We'll have our official, we'll of course have the official game breakdown, prediction. We'll have our game capsule, our pick, the pick against the spread. We'll have everything you need to know. And I got to be honest with you, I got a lot to say about that game. So I don't know how long that preview is going to go. Obviously, we only have one to do. Could go 30 minutes on a game. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so we've got a Q&A session this morning. It's a good old-fashioned mailbag episode, as is every Late Kick Extra podcast. How do you get in touch? Well, you can follow me on Twitter and then DM me there, at Late Kick Josh, or you can email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Now, some of you have taken to trying to hit me in the DMs on Instagram. Not the best of ideas. I check that about once a year. Uh, not the account, but just the inbox. So, hey, I don't mind that you follow me over there. I think it's at Late Kick Josh on Instagram, too. But the main ways are Twitter and email to get in touch and to submit a question like, for example, this one. Patch23 said, uh, that's uh, probably not his real name, but that is what he goes by. Patch23 says, with Cincinnati falling to Georgia in the Peach Bowl, does that really silence the G5 playoff talk? Well, I don't think it will, uh, nor do I think it should. Now, let's very, very carefully frame this, okay? So some of you may be new and you may not know how I feel about this. I'm a believer in no G5 team should ever be in the playoff, not because they're not good enough as teams. I believe that their schedule could never be good enough. So it's never been a personal thing between me and any given G5 team. I think UCF has had some really quality teams. I think that uh, this year's Cincinnati team was very strong. There have been Boise teams in the past. So it's never been a thing where I look at the team and I say, oh, they could never compete. But there is a minimum baseline requirement I think you should have to meet in terms of your strength of schedule in order to qualify for the playoff. Uh, Otherwise, you have to expose yourself to a certain degree to injury, to having a bad Saturday and getting beat. You don't expose yourself to that playing the schedules that most of these teams play. Now, there was a Houston team a couple of years back that I think played Oklahoma, one other Power 5 team in the regular season. They had a legitimate schedule that I think if they went undefeated against, would have put them in the playoff. They didn't go undefeated. Okay, so that's my stance. The schedule, the strength of schedule, the burden of responsibility to play a stronger schedule, you don't meet. And it's not your fault. You're playing the schedules you can play. I get that. But it's also not uh, Auburn's fault. It's also not Virginia Tech's fault. It just is what it is. So my proposition has always been have two separate playoffs, a G5 playoff and a P5 playoff. And I get pushed back for a million different reasons, but there's no other viable solution in my mind. Expanding the playoff is not. Giving an auto bid to the G5 is not. I'm not for any of that. Not for it at all. So that's my stance. Now, having said that, no, Cincinnati losing to Georgia doesn't prove the G5 doesn't belong at all. Absolutely not. And it's always, honestly, it's been these kinds of situations in postseason play that have always been able to distinguish my beliefs on this from most people. So most people who don't believe G5 teams should be in the playoff, they look at a situation where a Cincinnati loses to Georgia in a New Year's Six game, and they'll say, see, see, told you, they couldn't even beat Georgia. Well, that's not the evidence. That's not the proof. Because, I mean, the same folks are sitting there saying, well, Utah did beat Alabama, or yeah, Central Florida did beat Auburn, but they weren't really motivated to be there. So, you know, this bowl game doesn't really tell the whole story. 
Well, you're right. In those situations, I certainly believe you're right. Uh, but I'm also right here in saying, okay, well, maybe we can apply the reverse logic and maybe this bowl game didn't tell the whole story. You know, maybe, and I don't believe this to be true necessarily, but I could reasonably make the argument that maybe Cincinnati was a little bit let down from having their goal of making the playoffs swiped out from under their feet, and maybe they didn't fully show up. Again, I don't believe that, but you couldn't totally dismiss it, especially if you accept the counter arguments when the big boys lose to the G5s. You got to accept both sides. So I don't go down that road, period. Nothing that happens in the bowl game changes your true body of work. Your true body of work, your resume to make a bowl, in other words, is your regular season. That's it. And and maybe a conference championship game. It's not, let's make the decision, but then let's wait to see what you do in the bowl game before we really decide if you should have been in the bowl game. You see how backwards that is? That's stupid. And this is not like, it's not like you play one regular season game and then it's playoff time. You get Even in a shortened year like this, most teams played anywhere between 7 and 12 games, so everybody got a nice sample size, and in a normal year, everyone's played 12 games, minimum. So everyone's got a very strong body of work with which you should be able, if you know the sport, you should be able to look at it, and you should be able to tell one way or the other. Do they deserve? Do they not deserve? Do they belong? Do they not belong? Fact of the matter is Cincinnati played a heck of a game against Georgia. Okay, here's what I tweeted afterwards. Well, I'm going to have to paraphrase myself because I don't feel like looking it up, but here are my thoughts about that. It's not, could they beat Georgia? It never has been. It never has been, could a G5 team beat a Power 5 team? That's never been the question, in my mind at least, because the answer is always yes. They've done it plenty of times. That's not the question. The question is about whether they belong in the playoff or not. And knowing what you heard me say about my thoughts on their schedule, year in and year out, not meeting the minimum baseline, Here's what I find myself thinking when I see Cincinnati barely lose to Georgia. I think the same thing as if I saw them barely beat Georgia. You know, let's say the scores were reversed. Okay, so Cincinnati edges Georgia. That's not the question. The question is not, could you do that? My question would be, could you then go to College Station, Texas, seven days later and play on the road against A&M? Could you then come home to play Kentucky and then have Alabama in there the next week? And after you play Alabama, you got a bye week, but then you're going to go play Florida. This is what we call a Power 5 schedule. This is what any team that comes from where Georgia came from has to go through in the SEC. That is how you prove yourself. Okay, one of Cincinnati's toughest games of the year was their conference championship game against a good Tulsa team. They barely beat them. That Tulsa team turned around and got beat by Mike Leach and Mississippi State in a bowl game. Just to give you an idea of how relative strength of team is and how relative it is to what schedule you play. Because chances are there are a lot of teams in some of these Power 5 conferences. When I say a lot, I mean anywhere from 6 to 10 that I could take and give Cincinnati schedule to and see them go undefeated. Well, do we really think that there were six to 10 other teams that are playoff worthy in America this year? No. I mean, I asked one of my odds maker buddies the other day, if I gave North Carolina Cincinnati schedule this year, would they be favored in every game? Answer was yes, they would be favored in every game. Well, uh, what would have changed about North Carolina? Because if they played that schedule and went undefeated, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, a lot of you would be calling for them to be in the playoff. Why? They're no different a team than the team we're looking at currently that none of us believe was a playoff-worthy team. Well, what changed? Their schedule changed. And some folks out there are still blind enough in college football to believe that you are what your record says you are. This is not pro sports. Stop allowing people to try and compare the college model and the pro model. Stop allowing people to say, well, the NFL's got it figured out. Every winner of every division gets an auto bid at the playoff in the NFL. That's good. 
watch Sunday football if that's what you're about. This is not the way this sport should be run. Pro sports models should not be applied to college football. The gap between the best team and the worst team in the NFL point spread any given Sunday is normally between 14 and 20 points, and that's in an extreme year. The gap between Alabama and Kent State is 55, and that's just because Alabama doesn't feel like scoring more. The difference in the strengths of teams and therefore the strengths of schedules in college football makes it totally unique unto anything else on planet Earth. So to a lot of folks out there who say, well, we could just solve all this by making conference championships necessary to make the playoff. That means that we would have room for everyone. Well, I'm not interested in that. It sounds fair until you realize it's not. You know, if you got one conference that's 63% stronger than another conference, well, chances are you could have two or three of the best teams in America in that thing. But uh, too bad they lost games, right? Uh, you are what your record says you are. Well, no, because uh, I'll tell you this. What if they were to just all label themselves as an independent tomorrow? You know, what if what if a bunch of teams in the SEC just decided we're going to label ourselves independents? And then, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go schedule a lot of the teams that Cincinnati plays every year. I'm not picking on Cincinnati. I'm using them as an example the same, uh, some of the same crowd that cried for Cincinnati to make the playoff this year would lambaste Florida if they seceded from the SEC and scheduled Cincinnati's schedule. They'd say, well, you guys are just trying to schedule easy teams to make the playoff. You don't say, well, who set the precedent? Who set that argument? We didn't. We were happy down here the way it was. But if you guys are going to cry out that undefeated is undefeated, and if you don't win your conference championship, tough luck. Well, we're going to remove ourselves from a conference and play the schedule you play and hop, skip, and jump into the playoff every year. Does that sound fair? No, it doesn't. So figure out a better way to field your playoff than just, did you go undefeated? Because if you do, you're automatically in. Well, did you win a conference championship? If you didn't, no way we can let you in. One of the best ways I ever heard this summarized one time was this question. And for those of you who believe in conference championships being a requirement, for those of you who believe in auto bids for conference champions, just listen to this. If we, if you and I, okay, let's, the rest of the room is not there. It's you and me. We walked into a school and our sole purpose was to find the four smartest kids in that school. What would we do? We would probably want to gather all the kids and then test them however we're going to test them, right? And then the four highest grades, we're just going to take them. And we, we found the four smartest kids, right? Okay, that sounds very simple. And that is the way it should be done. But then what if all of a sudden we found those four smartest kids and then uh, the principal walked up to us and whispered in our ear, hey, um, I, I know that you had your methods here, but we got a problem. The problem is three of those kids are in the same class. So you can only take one per class. I mean, that's obvious, right? You would say, no, that's not obvious. What are you talking about? We're looking for the four smartest kids, period. And he says, well, I mean, let's be real now. If the kid here, kid B and kid C, if they're not even the smartest kids in their own classroom, then I mean, how could they possibly be the smartest in the school? Well, you would say, no, 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 sir. We're not looking for the smartest kid in the school. We're looking for the four smartest kids in the school. And so it stands to reason uh, maybe more than one of the smartest kids is in the same classroom. Okay, how long would that conversation go on? How long would that argument go on? It wouldn't go on very long. I mean, if the principal stonewalled you, then you just, I don't know what you do. I mean, this is a hypothetical. But the point is, the principal put something arbitrary in the way of you and your task. Your task and your task alone is to find the four smartest kids. Just like our task and our task alone is to find the four most deserving teams. I don't even say four best all the time because wins and losses do matter but you have to understand how to properly characterize them and how to properly interpret strength of schedule. Our task in college football is to find, well, the four most deserving teams, right? Well, when you start putting these barriers in place like classrooms or conferences, then they're arbitrarily getting in the way of carrying out what the true task is. And in the words of former Alabama All-American Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. 
All right, let's move on. Uh, Jesse asked a question about Jeremy Pruitt that was right in line with, well, it's it's a version of what many of you have asked, to be honest with you. And um, you know what, Jesse, I'm going to paraphrase your question. You know what you sent. So here's basically the deal. Everyone wants to know. What in the world is going on at Tennessee? What's the deal with Jeremy Pruitt? Why is there so much smoke? When are we going to know something? And uh, for the record, Jesse and the rest of you, I share those questions. I share that sentiment. So let's just set the stage briefly, very briefly. It's not a long podcast. And then I'm going to tell you where I think things are right now, where I think they're going. Jeremy Pruitt entered this season on an eight-game winning streak. All was well in Knoxville. People were looking really forward to this season. Uh, Tennessee had bad COVID issues in the preseason. Tennessee did not have a good season on the field. They finished below 500. Towards the end of the year, you started to hear whispers about internal investigations there. And there was a lot of hot seat talk on radio and message boards and whatnot. Uh, But that I didn't think was going to have a lot of traction until we started to hear about this internal investigation. And then the morning of the Texas A&M game, which was the final regular season game, I think that was the 19th, I think it was SEC Championship Saturday, then the news breaks. There is an internal investigation going on at Tennessee. Uh, Hasn't been a ton of really tangible evidence that's just been put out there for the public's eyes since then. And so there's been a lot of stuff that's in limbo. And I'm going to tell you, the one thing that I think is detached from reality, the more that I've talked to some people about this, initially, I think it was thought, and I think it's totally fair that you thought this, if you did, it was thought that this is an inside job. Look at what they're doing. They're releasing details of an investigation the morning of a game. So Pruitt has no time to get ahead of it. And this is ultimately probably from people inside the program who want him fired and they're trying to figure out a way to fire him with cause so they don't have to pay his buyout. And the timing and release of this story, uh, that's just meant to really torpedo any kind of credibility and leverage he has. I totally understand why it would look that way. I think more and more as time goes on, you're going to come to realize that wasn't the way this timeline went. It's just the way it happened to fall. Uh, So I don't think that's the case as much as maybe I did when I first heard it. When I first heard it, that's how it struck me too. That's, you know, it's far too convenient a timeline, but it does turn out, I think it was not convenient. I think it was just happenstance that it went that way. So independent of the timeline, now here's where we are. We don't know what's going to happen. And when you and I don't know, sometimes people behind the scenes know. But in this case, people behind the scenes really don't know. And that includes Jeremy Pruitt. That includes his coaching staff. That includes his current roster. That includes uh, new signees. That includes kids they're trying to lock up for the final signing day coming up next month in February. There's a lot of uncertainty. You can't run a program that way. If you were to ask me now, as we move forward, whether Jeremy Pruitt is going to be the head coach or not, do I think he will be? I think it's 50-50 at best right now, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't have a lot of confidence either way. Uh, It would not surprise me at all if we woke up tomorrow and he had been relieved of his duties. It also wouldn't shock me at all if, you know, February, March come around and there have been some internal staff moves. There are some guys that used to be with the Tennessee program that are no longer with him, but Jeremy Pruitt is still there and he goes into 2021, albeit on uncertain footing, but at least with his job. I think the biggest parts of this story have yet to come out. I also think that there are going to be public opinion matters and then there are going to be procedural matters. So in other words, there's going to be some stuff that may look or sound a little sketch, but by and large, it all comes down to, you know, what you think about it. Whereas there may be other things where the letter of the law says this right here was wrong. You can't do this. Someone has to be punished. But in due time, we're going to find out about all that. It's not going to be a secret forever. So eventually, 
there will be a day, maybe in the not-too-distant future, where investigators meet with the head coach there himself, Jeremy Pruitt. This is the absolute worst. Okay, so I know this is a like a stream, so it all sounds live. There was about a 15-minute pause there uh, because I had to get updated on, as it turns out, the very topic that you and I were talking about. So even when we're not doing live shows, we have breaking news. So again, as I was just talking about, you and I are going to have to wait and see together. We're going to see procedurally, very important word there, how this turns out at Tennessee. Well, one of the stories that I was hinting at coming the other day is out. Uh, it's from Mark Schleybaugh at ESPN, who I can tell you has been, well, the, at least the rumor on the street was he had been working on a story here for a while. So news from Mark Schleybaugh, Tennessee is not extending contracts of football assistance and has imposed a hiring freeze as it investigates possible recruiting violations within Jeremy Pruitt's program, okay? This is essentially the chancellor, president, whatever, however you want to term it, of the university saying, I've got to sign off on this stuff. You're under investigation. I'm not giving you the ability to make any staffing moves until this is figured out, okay? And then in the football world, Jeremy Pruitt probably throws up his arms and says, how do you expect me to conduct business over here if I can't even hire people? And then the chancellor probably looks back and says, not my problem, bub. Uh, how do you expect to conduct business if you can't conduct business the right way? And so to me, my first thought is for all intents and purposes, Jeremy Pruitt is done at Tennessee. Even if this doesn't immediately cost him his job, this will put Tennessee so far behind the eight ball that it's all but a formality. That if not now, then this time next year, he'll be gone. So I think in a lot of ways, the book on Jeremy Pruitt's tenure is in its final chapters in Knoxville. Ooh, okay, so let's reset now. Enough, enough breaking news for a pre-recorded podcast, in my opinion. We got Late Kick Live tonight. I, listen, I mean, I was formatting that as we speak. I was just going to do the game breakdown. Ohio State, Alabama. Well, now it looks like something else got added onto the plate. So Director Colin will be thrilled to hear that when I send it to him. But he doesn't have to know about that yet. Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, we got a good question, actually, about the national championship game. We will tackle that. No pun intended. Yeah, I guess pun was intended. We will tackle that head on right after this. All right, Stacy asked about Alabama. So Stacy, frequent contributor to the program, she's a big Alabama fan, and she asked, well, she said she's nervous about the Ohio State National Championship game Monday night. Understandable, Stacy, that's a very good team you guys are going up against. And she said, I'm nervous because I remember when we were favored against Clemson in the last National Championship game we played in and we got blown out. Convince me this won't be different. Well, uh, I can't necessarily confirm that it won't be different. I can also tell you Alabama could blow someone out, so it could happen on the opposite side of the coin, I guess. Now, I would expect a close game here. I'm going to show you what our model has on this game and give you my predictions tonight on Late Kick Live. Uh, but I'll say this. So I remember I was talking to someone who covers Alabama the other day, and I was reminiscing about that game, that twenty what is it, 2018 season, the 2018 National Championship game out in California. It was in Santa Clara. And so I was out there, uh, did not like the setting at all. Don't think a national championship game ever belongs in Santa Clara, California. Um, but be that as it may, that's where it was. So Alabama played Oklahoma the week leading up to that. Clemson played Notre Dame the week leading up to that. Well, not the week. Yeah, about the week and a half leading up to that. Uh, there were problems. I mean, big problems behind the scenes for Alabama. It was the worst chemistry that I've ever experienced behind the scenes for them. There were all kinds of issues on Nick Saban's staff. I think he had the weakest pair of coordinators, relatively speaking, on that team that he's ever had. And that was going to be a challenge enough. But compounding matters, 
was the fact that everyone was leaving, like his entire staff was about to be gone, some by choice, some by requirement to pack your bags and get out of here. Uh, they had just, it was a very bad dynamic. I thought leading up to the game, it was a supreme testament to how good Nick Saban is that he had a team that fractured behind the scenes in the national championship game. You know, a lot of times when teams go off the rails, you look at them and you say, well, see there, there's there's a surefire example of a team that doesn't have his act together behind the scenes, and this is the result. Well, some teams that are achieving on the field still have those problems and that drama behind the scenes. That Alabama team did. Let me tell you, there was some very un-Alabama-esque problems that particular year. And so they go into that game, um, and they were behind the scenes just a mess, but yet they were still favored in the game. It's still Alabama. So you still think, man, they're, they're, they've got a chance to get the job done here. And then true freshman Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and that crew, they end up uh, running away with the game and they just dominated in the red zone defensively. That's how they did it. And I remember uh, it was just such a weird feeling to watch that because here's what you felt like, or at least I felt like. I felt like I was watching such an anomalous result that to where if I ran that game back the next week, uh, Clemson may win the game again. I, I certainly don't think it's going to be 44 to 16 but yet that doesn't matter because you play the football game one time. So I, mean, I guess it kind of sounds like I'm trying to rain on Clemson. No, I'm not at all. Uh, I'm not doing that whatsoever. That's how winners operate. You play the game, you win the game, you win the championship, and then everyone else gets to complain. My point is, I think this Alabama team would smoke that Alabama team because this Alabama team is uh, a well-oiled machine compared to that Alabama team. Now, it's not that the talent level's better, although it is, but it's not that. It's that this is an actual team. That was a collection of dudes. That's what that was. That was so good, it was still able to make it to a championship game. But when it came up against a better team, you saw the result. This right here is one of Nick Saban's best teams. Um, he's not shy about talking about it publicly or behind the scenes either. So I say all that to say this. Ohio State is perfectly capable of winning this game, but they will have to take it from them. And when Alabama is operating at peak efficiency, the history has taught us that's a very hard thing to do. Not impossible, but a very hard thing to do. All right, Jeffrey's up next. He said, well, I guess he asked, and I will say, do you expect Oregon to dominate the Pac-12 for years to come? All right, so um, I think there's a two-part answer here. Uh, the first part applies to Oregon. The second part applies to all of college football. Firstly, I think they're set up to do very well. I don't think that you can look at Southern Cal and the talent that they will continue to acquire. Last year's recruiting class is going to be a decade from now. I'm going to use this word again. One of the biggest anomalies in the history of college football recruiting. I mean, they were abhorrent last year because everyone thought Clay Helton was going to be fired. Then he went undefeated in the regular season and they've locked up a really good recruiting class, just landed the top player in the country in Corey Foreman. So, I mean, they're going to be okay. Like they're going to be there. So it's not necessarily domination that I expect, but Oregon is quickly on its way to having the best talent roster on the West Coast. As, as good as Southern Cal just did in recruiting, I mean, Oregon's right there, if not better. And so I think at the last check, they were the number six overall class per the 24-7 sports team rankings. And that's pretty incredible. I mean, that's really incredible, especially considering you have to go out of state for virtually all your talent. That's the answer to part one. Part two is this, what's it going to matter this is a scary question if you really think about it. So at the beginning of this podcast this morning, I was talking about the G5, right? And I was talking about how even if a lot of those teams go undefeated, I don't think they merit playoff consideration 
because they don't meet the minimum threshold requirements scheduling wise that I think you should meet. In other words, they don't play a, a strong enough schedule to where they've proven themselves, no matter how good the team is. Could that happen in the Pac-12 is my question. Because I'm telling you right now, as much as I'd say that about the G5, you know, G5, that's not a conference. The G5 are five conferences, the group of five. Kind of like when we say P5, Power 5. Well, that's not a conference. That is kind of a description that we've put on the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the Pac-12. I think it is time, at the moment at least, to stop categorizing the Pac-12 as being in the same conversation as the Big 10 and the SEC. It's not comparable. They're not even comparable. And so here's the situation you have. Situation you have is the Pac-12 has fallen behind and it's only falling further behind as the days go by. I'd be lying right now if I told you I thought there was separation between the bottom of the Power 5 and the top of the G5. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. If you were to ask me today over the next five years, which conference will be stronger going forward? The Pac-12 or the AAC? I'd pick the AAC. You give me a conference full of Houston's and Cincinnati's and Central Florida, Memphis. I mean, you give me those teams and then you give me the next five years versus the downward trajectory that the Pac-12 seems to be trending, I, I, I'd have to take the AAC, uh, which means the top of the G5 and the bottom of the Power 5 has blended to the point where you either replace one in your mind. It's not like it's an official designation. You either replace them in your mind or you just start saying Power 4. Because, I mean, we can't in good conscience keep saying Power 5 knowing full well the bottom of that totem pole there is weaker than the top of the other totem pole. Well, at that point, it dissolves the entire purpose behind separating one and the other. And so here, here's my concern, and here would be my concern if I were Mario Cristobal, Clay Helton, Kyle Whittingham, whoever you're talking about out on the West Coast, is my best going to be good enough to achieve at the highest levels of this sport? Is my best going to be good enough, or are we approaching a point uh, an inflection point, if you will, in the college football world where maybe one day undefeated won't be good enough in the Pac-12. You never think that day will come. You always assume, because of that imaginary P5 sticker on your chest, that undefeated conference champ, that'll always be good enough. And maybe it will. And I'm sure if you're Southern Cal or Oregon, uh, it probably would be. But just, just, I think that. I don't know that. And so just think about this for a second. Moving forward, you know, what if your best is no longer good enough when you're in the Pac-12? That's what worries me. I think that's what worries them out there. And again, this is not something that's been steadied. This this slip, this fall down, down a mountain, it's not been steadied yet. It's still in the process of happening. Like the Pac-12 is still tripping and stumbling down the hill. And the other bad part about this is some of your P5 brethren, they're not standing there watching you fall. They're climbing. So they are further separating themselves from you. And it won't be too long before people in those conferences, they're looking at you the same way they look at some of those G5 schools. And they're sitting there looking at maybe Oregon saying, hey, I think Oregon's a really good team, but it doesn't matter. They're not playing anything out there. They're not playing anyone. I mean, what, what is it proving to us that they beat the 101st best team in the country and then the 93rd best team in the country and then number 64 and then, oh, look, big game here at number 32. But, you know, then they play number 78 the next week. What is that proving? You know, that would be a good point. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. I'm certainly not rooting for it, but I'm telling you, we're not that far away from that. And so that's what I would watch. If I were asking about Oregon, I wouldn't be asking, are they going to have a good team? Oh yeah, they're going to have a good team. Absolutely. But if I'm going to apply the same logic that I apply to the G5, I've told you before, just to prove my point about how it's about scheduling for me over quality of team, 
I could take the Kansas City Chiefs and drop them into the MAC. And if they played a MAC schedule, I would not qualify them for the playoff. I wouldn't put them in the playoff. They'd be undefeated, conference champ, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they would be the Chiefs. So they're clearly the best team in America by 10 miles. They'd be favored by like four touchdowns or five touchdowns over Alabama. And yet I would not qualify for them for the playoff because they would not have met the minimum baseline requirement of a schedule. Um, that could be Oregon's problem in the not too distant future. So that's my concern for them. It's not quality of teams, not quality of coach. They just re-upped Mario Cristobal. That's great. Here's what you need. And this seems counterintuitive, uh, but it is the boat that the Pac-12 is in right now. You have to start rooting for your rivals. That's something that the University of Alabama never has to do. They don't have to root for LSU. They can root for their demise. They don't have to hope that Brian Harson works out at Auburn. They don't have to hope that Jimbo Fisher keeps it rolling. They don't have to wish that Kirby Smart really gets Georgia over the hump and wins something. They don't have to do that because they know the brand of the SEC and the inevitable strength of schedule year over year in the SEC. That will carry them. They don't have to worry about what the rivals are doing. Well, in the Pac-12, you do have to worry about that. Just like in the upper levels of the G5 right now, you know, if you're a Memphis fan and you think you got a strong team coming next year, really subconsciously, you guys know this, you've experienced it before. You got to pull for UCF. You got to pull for Cincinnati, SMU, Houston. Like you got to pull for those teams to be good until you play them. That could be the boat very quickly that Oregon finds themselves in where you're having to pull for USC. You're having to pull for, oh, Washington. Can you imagine? And if someone's going to beat them, it needs to be you, but then hopefully no one else. All right. As I said, we have got a late kick live coming up tonight and we are going to do the Ohio State Alabama full breakdown. We are going all over the place, different angles, preview, game capsule, prediction, straight up and against the spread. Could be juicy. In fact, it will be juicy. Hope you'll join us there. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews on the podcast. Keep those coming in. We're over 1,300 now and hope to, hey, let's, let's push it over 2,000. Why not? We can do it. Until then, for producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening to Late Kick Extra this morning. Have a great day and God bless. <laughs>